This is Joey Gould's Jewish State. I didn't think there'd be a sequel to episode 59, Upheaval, The Journey of Menachem Begin. But this amounts to it. It's the film documentary about one of Israel's great leaders of the first 75 years. Scroll back to episode 59 for the story of the movie. An interview with its director, Jonathan Gruber, and my exclusive with the Mossad agent who worked under Begin in Sudan and Ethiopia. Tell me about the incredible contribution to this mission of Menachem Begin. When he gave Mossad a simple command, bring me the Jews of Ethiopia. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Those were the words. That's exactly how the chief of the Mossad at the time, uh, Itzhak Hofi, uh, told us that those were the exact words. And um, I think one of... Uh, Begin was the... I, I, he was not uh, concerned by the origin of uh, the tribes of Israel. For him, I think, he considered every Jew from anywhere, even from the remotest places, to be uh, equal as any other Jew. Because our guest today is Chaim Oren, one of a group who helped raise funds for the Begin documentary. Chaim is the son of two Holocaust survivors, who arrived in British Mandate Palestine on the Exodus ship in 1947. His late uncle, Dov Shilansky, the 12th Speaker of the Knesset, was a close confidant of Begin. Chaim's own family history takes in the schisms within European Jewry and early Israeli Zionism, and how those fault lines exist to this very day. But then again, it's also how Israel comes together in times of existential crisis, the intense unity following on from intense political divisions created by the attempts to reform the judiciary. Stories of great personal courage have emerged amid Hamas's savagery and brutality early that Shabbat and Simchat Torah morning. And stay tuned for a story of incredible heroism from an everyday Israeli. You'll hear about Rachel Edry, who kept Hamas fighters at bay for hours and hours and hours to save her and her father's lives. Today, Chaim's a leading expert on well-being and mental resilience. He's brand ambassador for Hintzer Performance, a world leader in human high performance. Ours is a tough, brass tacks kind of conversation. But in typical Jewish and Israeli spirit, it ends with optimism and how we will all emerge from this. Full of anecdotes and quotes, a rich conversation. Here now, on Johnny Gould's Jewish State, is Chaim Oren. Welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you for having me as a guest. Now, everyone in Israel has a story, wherever they come from, and it's always a triumph for anyone who is either a new arrival to Israel or someone who's been there many generations. And yours is part of the birth of the state of Israel. You're the son of a Holocaust survivor who came to, let's say, Palestine on the Exodus ship in 1947. And your late uncle was the 12th speaker of the Knesset. He was Menachem Begin's close confidant, Dov Shilansky. Dov Shilansky. Was he from Belarus as well? From Lithuania. From Lithuania. So the idea of these 
Zionists coming from Central and Eastern Europe, coming to create a state of Israel. I'm going to say something which I've learned from the more orthodox Lithuanian Jews who are descended in the diaspora here. It caused a similar schism in the relationship between the Rabbonim of the shtetl who looked at these young Zionists and said, hey, 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 you know, you're taking your tzitzis off, you're taking your koppels off, you're going to the cities, you're inventing these ideas. This is a challenge to our religion. And this is, of course, buried in our history, but it is something that we need to examine. Right. Yes, well, you know, what propelled them to do this was the Holocaust and the fact that the Nazis came and started to, you know, kill Jews. And so they had to do something active. And so they've risen to the occasion and started to unite themselves and fight the Nazis as well as immigrate to Israel, which was very difficult at that time. And my parents came on the ship of Exodus, which really was a huge suffering for six months or so. My mother always told me about this unbelievable suffering, but they were very determined, very determined. And finally, they came to Israel, as well as my uncle, uh, Dov Shelansky, who, with his three brothers and sisters, survived the death march in 1944 in Germany, survived it, and then organized themselves, joined Menachem Begin Irgun organization, and boarded the ship called Altalena, and which was a story by itself, and finally joined the IDF, and then later, of course, become part of Menachem Begin a political party, the Cherut, which then was renamed Likud, and then he was named the second, the twelfth speaker of the Knesset. So it's embedded in our story of life. And you mentioned there that he was on the Alta Lena when it was sunk in June 1948, not by the British, not by an Arab. This is something that sends a shiver down my spine when I when I learned about this about 15 years ago, by the alternative. Zionist organizations led by David Ben-Gurion. Yep. Uh, it sends an absolute shiver down my spine, the idea that they could fire on Altalena's ship, sink it, and they killed 18 fellow Jewish people. Yep. I find well, that very difficult to deal with. Well, Johnny, I, I, must, I must confess to you that this internal division still existed yep. when in Israel there started a rivalry between Likud and the other parties, which was in a, with amazing intensity and ferocity of hatred for eight months. So we have it embedded in our, the story of our nation. But we always come together, fortunately, in a moment of crisis, like in 1948, when all the Arab states invaded Israel. And so we had to be united and thank God for Menachem begging leadership that ordered Dov and the other soldiers not to fire back against Prime Minister Ben-Gurion forces and really prevented uh, a war between the Jews. And then, of course, we fought together and the state of Israel was born. The same division happened for the duration of eight months. Of, of eight months and then the events on October 7th, and guess what? Am Israel got together 
and really responded and the IDF and now there's a sense of unity in Israel everywhere. Everyone is mobilized to support IDF. And so I guess this is like a, a natural tendency in, in, in the history of the Jews. You know, in the late summer, I was at Kerem Shalom mm. to witness what turned out to be the subterfuge of Hamas, letting people through the border, Israel opening up their economy to enemy combatants and their allies, reporting back probably with detailed information of the geolocations of Kibbutzim, and my own anecdotal study of these Gazan people, when you say good morning to them in the hotel, then look you in the eye, you could tell who to a large extent was a Gazan and who was an Israeli Arab, but you could tell. Mm. It worried me. I was told with absolute certainty by the IDF down there that the next war was coming from Lebanon and that we had this covered. Why does it take a biblical plague like October the 7th for the Jews who fight with each other occasionally, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the Litvak Frumers and the Zionists and all the, all the other nonsense. I mean, I, I had terrible rows over judicial reform. I could feel the Second Temple story bubbling mm, under. I, could feel exactly. it. I was worried about it. Why does it take Jews who suddenly don't believe in unity to get unified? I was only ever for unity. This podcast has three pillars, okay? And I broadcast within them, Judaism, Zionism, unity. That's mm. all it is, right? Which means that anyone who argues too hard against another Jew is creating the possibility of, of a Chilol Hashem. Yep. Not, not directly, but as has happened. And I'm not blaming either side. I didn't like the language, the rhetoric of the judicial reform side. I didn't like it. Equally, I'd rather that Netanyahu's government didn't cause so much division. And I was looking for a Likud senior to try and tidy things up. But unfortunately, tragically, our lessons have been taught to us by savages. Worse than death. Yeah. I, I think what happened in Israel, it's very similar to uh, 1973, where because of arrogance of the intelligence and the military. They've built a conception, a paradigm, that Hamas cannot threaten the state of Israel. It's very similar, I recall, the Barlev line, if you recall it, we built a formidable line on the Suez Canal. And I remember that days that, you know, the IDF general say the, the Egyptian army could never cross the Kav Barlev, the Barlev line. And they were so arrogant, they were so confident of their paradigm, of those thinking. They, they let the lures down. They become very complacent. And I think what happened here, again, it's a wake-up call how the intelligence and other specific special intelligence units and the IDF really were led to believe that Hamas is fully deterred. And I think basically we Israelis, as well as the Jews, we aspire for life. 
you're right, we lack 18,000 workers from Gaza to work in Israel. We supply them with water and electricity. Why? Because in the Jewish psyche, in the Jewish mind, we are for life. When we say in Kiddush, in Friday, Lechaim, life is so sacred with us. And so we really fell into this paradigm because the other side, and I know some people who are experts in the, in the Arabic world, they have said, boy, you are dead wrong because those guys are dead serious in killing you. So unfortunately, this gap existed and led to the surprise, vicious attack by Hamas. But it's not over yet. IDF is now on a major momentum. You know, I recall the story, the documentary of about Menachem Begin. It's called the movie, Up Evil. And I think there is something that maybe God has embedded in our history. You know, we sink into very, very deep crisis to give birth to something new. And Menachem Beck Up Evil documentary movie, you know, described this logic. And I believe this crisis, Johnny, will give birth to stronger Israel and to something new. Now, as promised, is the Rachel Edry story. How an Israeli woman from the southern Israeli town of Ofakim, with no experience of such terror, who does? stepped up to the plate to become a real heroine who saved her and her father's life. I think the Rachel Edry story is a, is a model for resourcefulness, for resilience that we can all learn from that. Rachel Edry, a resident of Ofakim, it's a small town in the south part of Israel, on the morning of this Black Saturday, October 7th, five Hamas terrorists burst into the home and took her and her husband, David, into hostages. They put Kalachnikov guns aimed at their heads and hand grenades, and they say, you're going to die if you don't behave. Now, what most of us will react to this impossible situation? Rachel taught us a very, very different story. She decided to really occupy them because she knew that the IDF commando unit is circling the house and they started the negotiation in order to free them. So she had an end game and hand plane and she started to divert the attention of the Hamas terrorists by offering them cookies and coffee and even putting bandage on one of the Hamas terrorists' wounds and she kept entertaining them. This is an amazing story. And she did it for 19 hours, Johnny. 19 hours. You know, you said, boy, can anybody tolerate Kalachnikov guns aimed at your heads with hand grenades? But Rachel did not lose at resourcefulness. And she thought, I better calm them down, those bastards. And even she prepared them dinner. And so she was able to calm them down while the commando unit is planning how to burst into the house and kill those Hamas terrorists. She did it for 19 hours. And then at 2 a.m., 
commando unit added by a son who is a police officer in Ofakim, in this town, a son. They burst into the home, 2 a.m., going from the roof to the room they were in. They shot the, the terrorists and they free Rachel, Edry, and a father. Now, this is a story of a Jewish bravery. We all have this bravery, all of us, anywhere in the world. The one thing we have to think and decide, we are not going to succumb to fear. We have to say resourceful. And I think the Rachel Edry story is an amazing model of inspiration. Shekoyach, kol hakavod. It's not enough words to describe her heroism. Chaim, it's also unleashed an extraordinary and horrible international anti-Semitism. And in the West, what we have called a liberal democracy seems to have come with allowing literally anybody into infiltrate all parts of society, mm -hmm. be that in government, be that through communications of identity corporatism in all companies. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in retail outlets. We've seen it in diversity training. Is it too late for the Western world to de-infiltrate this problem? Well, it's a challenging question because in my personal belief, and when I joined the group of people that helped to fund the evil movie, I said to the group of I said to this group that begging values are as valid today as they were 80 years ago. And you know, it, I didn't know what I'm talking about, but I really believed there will be a challenge. And you know, I've started to detect the growing sense of anti-Semitism, which really was fueled by the influx of Syrian and Palestinian and Arab refugees that flooded Europe, Germany, UK, France. And I made a note to myself that this is a very troubling sign because those people will not study from the morality and the value of the West, they will retain their extreme radical Islam and jihad-centric ideology. And I've seen throughout the years the rising level of hatred by those refugees who become citizens. And right now we're talking about millions of them all over Europe. And so I think... Europe, as well as the U.S., they have reached a moment of truth where because of the sheer number of those guys, they will have, they will have to fight in order to save Western civilization. And I really recall, you know, there were many, you know, from the left, many people from the left, politicians who say, come on, let's compromise. Let's give them a stay, the Oslo Accords and the Gush Katif disengagement, are many examples of that. They all miserably failed because of lack of understanding that this is not a political battle, Johnny. You must 
realize that. This is a battle between civilization. This is a religious war. And in the religious war, unfortunately, either you win or you die. So unlike the 20th century political views, you know, the Cold War, which was a political war between the West and the Soviet Union and other wars, here we're talking about religious war. It's a war between civilizations. And we have to realize that. And Israel is on, on the front. But then the West is next one. First, they came for the communists. And I didn't speak out. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me and i guess we are in a similar situation in europe and the us and elsewhere Chaim, there was a delamitri song and again they play this on repeat it goes on it's about loneliness and it's about the emptiness and the vacuity of society mm. and it goes on for about four minutes and it goes the chorus is nothing ever happens nothing happens at all the needle returns to the start of the song and we all go along like before and we'll all be lonely tonight and lonely tomorrow. And then at the end of the song, I can't believe it. I still can't believe it every time I hear it. La, 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 la. They play it on rock and roll radio. They don't listen to it. But the words are nothing ever happens. Nothing happens at all. They'll burn down the synagogues at six o'clock and we'll all go along like before. Mm. Six o'clock meaning the news bulletin. And that's where we are. That's where we are. God forbid. Exactly. The nature of the West is to trying to pacify the beast. I recall Novin Chamberlain when he went to Hitler and signed the agreement on Czechoslovakia. You know, and of course, we know what happened afterwards. The West has a tendency to pacify, to compromise, to delay the outcome in dealing with enemies. And I'm afraid. We have a repeated occurrences here where they have tolerated Hamas and extreme radical Muslim expressions in Germany, in France, in the UK, elsewhere, because they thought, like the song, that it will pass, it will pass away. But no, I think right now the war in Gaza really let all these bad energies rise again and the level of anti-Semitism went up, skyrocketed. And my feeling is that it would not subside down. It will continue to increase because the events are so, so significant. And so we are reaching a moment of truth. Israelis and Jewish diaspora around the world will need mental resilience to get through this. In particular, those poor families who have beloved children, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, incarcerated in Gaza. Now, Chaim, you're also an expert on well-being, a speaker and brand ambassador on behalf of Hintzer Performance, a world leader in human high performance who advise F1 drivers 
and the top companies around the world on achieving top performance. Chaim, just give us an idea of how all Israelis and Jews around the world responding to this news can remain strong because we need to be strong. I think what I can use or quote in this situation is the profound sentence by Viktor Frankl, was a Jewish psychologist who survived the Auschwitz death camp. And when he was released, he wrote the book, A Man Searching for Meaning, which I highly recommend everyone, every Jew to read it. You know, he went to this death camp with his pregnant wife, with his parents, and the Nazis killed his wife, killed his parents. He hid in his jacket the thesis for his new paradigm of psychology called logo, logotherapy, the psychology of meaning. The German took his coat and threw it to the fire. And so for the next three years in Auschwitz death camp, which is the worst situation for every human, he developed this amazing insight. And I quote, he said, those who have a why to live for can bear with almost any how, which means what? If you have a life meaning, a meaning for your life that you cling to, you can endure any difficulty, any difficulty at all. And he proved it by watching his fellow Jews in the death camp. Those people who developed this meaning and they told themselves, hey, I'm going to be able to survive for my family. I'm going to be able to survive because I want to create something new in the world. Like Viktor Frankl had the most higher survival rate than people who said, look, they succumb to their fears. We're not going to survive. And they either ran to the electric fence and committed suicide or became sick because their immune system got weaker. The insight that I'm giving is it all starts in your mind, in your ability to firmly develop a meaning for your life. Like Menachem Begin said, and also my uncle said, in the midst of the chaos of the Nazis killing Jews all over Europe, we decided there won't be a second Holocaust for the Jews. And that galvanized them into action. You see, it all starts in your mind. There is a famous proverb by the Rebbe from Lubavitch. An amazing, he has an amazing insight. He said, think good and it will be good. It all starts on your mind. If you make a determination, we will prevail. We will remain victorious for the sake of our children, for the sake of the Jewish people. And that way, that's my first recommendation. And that will give you power and energy to survive any type of difficulty like Viktor Frankl. Because if you succumb to fear, it will cripple you, it will drain you from energy, and of course, uh, not a positive situation for you. So this is my first recommendation for Jews everywhere. Every crisis is an opportunity. Believe it or not, you know, the ancient Hebrew women in the, in the biblical times, 
they were giving birth, sitting on a small chair. It's called in Hebrew, Mishbar. Mishbar, it's meaning mashber, crisis. Because at that time, the death rate among women was very high. Recall, Rachel, a mother, died giving birth to Benjamin. It was a very, very difficult process. But the other meaning to this word in Hebrew, crisis, is giving birth to something new. I firmly believe, like the Second World War and its atrocities and the Shoah, you know, bottom line, when we look retrospectively, it gave birth to the state of Israel and to the emergence of the Jewish people. I firmly believe that this event, this is this crisis, will give birth to something very strong and the Jewish people will prevail. As we say, Am Israel Chai. I suggest that we adopt this perspective and that will give us energies and resourcefulness to really face the difficulties that we all face in Israel as well as worldwide. Chaim, I couldn't have imagined a more positive and upbeat way to complete our discussion amid all the serious elements and dangers that we've talked about. Chaim Oren, thank you very much for your time today on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you very much for having me. There's a lot of competing attention for you, I do know. You're probably consuming more media than ever before to be right up to speed with what's going on in Israel and back home. I'm playing my part in the best way I can, using my journalistic and production skills to make the case for Israel via this Johnny Gould's Jewish State. And I've done it since 2018. If you enjoy my podcast, and you'd rather it existed than not, that I kept doing it, you can support me very simply by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Johnny Gould because it really helped. Tell your friends, subscribe now if you haven't already, scroll back and look through the 120 previous episodes. And as always, thank you for listening. Johnny Gould's Jewish State is brought to you with Dangor Education.